Lord, we need you. I need you. I ask that you would come into this place, into each one of our hearts and minds, and come to contact with a love that it's hard for us to comprehend. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I was growing up throughout the years, um, my oldest brother, he's 14 years older than me, and I always thought he was the coolest guy. He still is the coolest guy. I love him to death. But he would always go backpacking all the time. He was always about being in the woods. Doesn't matter when, what, or where, he would be going out in the woods. And me and him spent so much time together going through Big Sur and did almost three quarters of the trails up there with him. And then throughout the Sierra Nevadas. And um, as me and Sabrina started to date, she came accustomed to me. I'm gone once a year for about one to two weeks. And it was just a special time for me to, to reset, to go out into the woods and spend time with God and to see this beautiful creation. But as more and more we started having kids, it started getting harder and harder for me to get away. Sabrina's like, man, you're going to leave all these kids with me? And I'm like, well, this is what I love to do. I want to go do this. This is exciting. And so um, it came to pass that um, when our third child was born, Baron, we had um, a lot of stuff going on. I came with an, into this church and found a new relationship with Jesus and was really excited and gung-ho about the way God has brought me to know a bunch of new truths and, and inspired me to, to do His will and just try to follow Him in a certain way. And I was just so in fire and excited for God. And at this moment when He blessed with barren in our lives, my youngest boy, um, we just got out of a fifth-wheel travel trailer in a bad living situation, and, and we're blessed with a new house. And, and I was like, Lord, I just, I'm ready for a break. So I, me and my brother planned, we're just a four-day backpacking trip. We'll do a quick one. And my brother's always, you know, I just need to kidnap you. I want to take you out because he's, we're big partners on this. And me and him are always uh, going to the woods, and we, we hike the same pace. So always fun to go out. So we headed out on this trip, and Baron was... A newborn. He wasn't even a year old yet. And Sabrina and others were like, I don't know if this is a good idea, man. I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's only four days. You know, she's amazing. She's got it. And so we went, headed out on a four day trip with my wife, with two kids, and a newborn baby at home in a new house. Probably wasn't the best idea. And I think we'll learn more. Uh, God had a plan for this at the end. But we set out into Kings Canyon. I don't know if you guys are familiar. It's a, uh, a Kings Canyon in the Sierra National Forest, and it's a deep canyon. And um, we went straight up and out to a place called Shepherd's Pass. And, you know, it's just up and up and up and up, and it's a lot of work to get. So we got one day in, and our second day, we're way above tree line, and we're going over these passes about close to 12,000 feet. So we're all up in these boulders. And uh, taking one boulder, there's car-sized boulders that you'd hop on and, and wiggle. So it's, um, it's real slow going. So it took us all day. And, and right when we got to the lake that we wanted to be at, it was almost getting 
dusk. It was almost dark, and we're looking around this lake, and it's a big bowl, huge lake, and boulders all around it, and there's no flat spots except the other side of this big lake. There's, you can see the flat spot, and we're like, okay, that's the spot. So me and my brother, like always, were, no, no, this way is the better way. No, no, we'll go right. This is the better way. And finally, we come together. We're like, okay, we're going to go right. But as we're going right, there's a big, giant snow bank that goes all the way up the mountain. And me and him are talking about it like, man, we're going to go up the mountain again, another thousand feet in this big boulder field. Why don't we just take, there's this little sliver of 30 feet of snow, and we could just traverse across this snow, you know, a little bit, and uh, we'll get right to the rocks and make it to the other side, and we'll get there quicker. And uh, my brother does not like the idea at all. And I'm like, okay, bro, just suck it up, okay? Suck it up. We got this. It's no big deal. We'll choose this path. And he's like, no, I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about this. The, the snow bank goes all the way down into the lake, this freezing, cold, blue lake. So as stubborn as I am, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to try it. So I got my hiking poles. We get up, and it's only, I can see the other side. It's only 30 feet so I'm like, okay, and I'm digging my feet in. It's nice and soft, and I'm going and getting closer and closer. And by the time I get to the middle, I realize this isn't snow. This is ice. <laughs> I can't dig my feet any, anymore. It is so hard. And I'm in the middle, and I'm stuck with my poles like this. I'm like, okay, I need to turn back. So I turn around to turn back, and that's when I lost it. I slipped, fell back, and tried to catch myself. I start sliding down the mountain hundreds of feet, heading straight towards a cold, freezing lake with 30 pounds on my back, and I'm flying down, and I got one pole still with me, and I steer down right into the rocks before I get to the lake. And my brother runs up to me. He's like, wow, you, you got out of that quick. And, and we both turned and looked at my shoulder, and I'm like, I didn't get out of that. My shoulder became dislocated as I tried to catch myself from falling and was popped out of the socket. And immediately I was overcome and worried and in fear. My brother's in fear too. And we're, what do we do now? I'm in, it starts, the pain starts coming on. I'm sweating and, and we're, we're, we're trying to think about different ways to put it back in and we get over and there's one flat spot on that side of the lake, one skinny flat spot, just enough for me to lay down as it's getting dark. And as it's getting dark, the pain is setting on and setting on. My older brother, who refers to me as the toughest, hardest working guy, I'm not trying to boast myself, but he's like, you're the toughest guy, and he had to walk away. Because I was screaming out in pain and rolling all night long, trying to put this thing back in the socket or something to relieve my pain. So I wanted to turn to Peter, a story about Peter in Luke chapter 22. On my last sermon a couple months ago, I was talking about Peter and his conversion from a fisherman to a fisher of men. And that's the life that God has been taking me on. I was a commercial fisherman for a couple years, and God has been slowly calling me to give that life up and go for a life for a fisher of men. <clears throat> and, Lord, and Peter, as he's in chapter, Luke chapter 22, 
Peter's been walking with the Lord. He's been on a journey with God right next to his side, seeing these miracles take place, learning of who he is, and just, I couldn't imagine being in that presence in that moment. But in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to grind you up, sift you out, and put you in the oven and change who you are right now. But the Lord said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And Peter's like, what, wait, what, what do you mean, Lord? But he said to him, Peter, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and for death. I'm ready to go to the ends of the earth. I've been following you this time. How could you say such a thing? How are you praying for me, Jesus? And then Jesus, as we're all familiar said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Man, knowingly just being in Peter's position as he's on fire for God and and following the Messiah and he knows who Jesus is. And he's even saying that you're going to deny me. I just kind of imagine what he would be feeling at that time. But a little bit further in the story, Jesus is heading to the Mount of Olives to take on the sin of the world upon himself. And um, on his way to the cross. And I thought it was something really interesting that in verse, it's coming down to verse 37. For I say to you which is written must still be accomplished in me, and he was numbered for the transgressions, for the things coming to me at the end. I'm sorry. Please go, just go back. One more verse. It was 36. But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And then down in 38, so they said, the disciples, look, Lord, here are two swords, And he said to them, it is enough. I think it's interesting that Jesus was saying, that's enough. Bring the swords. I don't really know why he said that, but as we look further in the story, the swords were used by somebody that did something wrong. So further down in the story, Judas is coming in to betray The Messiah, to come bring the priest to him so that he may be arrested and taken before the judge and accused of something he wasn't wrong of doing. But when the priest came and they had those two swords immediately, well, going back as Jesus is in the garden and he's praying in agony, in verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his, then his sweat became like a great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he rose up to prayer and his, came to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? 
Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Just as that, Jesus was coming. And, um, and then they asked, when the, when the people were coming and the getting ready to take them away, the disciples said in verse um, 49, Lord, shall we strike them with the sword? And with not a response, one of them struck the servant, the high priest, and cut off his right ear. In John <clears throat> chapter 20, or chapter, it quotes in John that this was Peter's action. Peter rose up the sword and cut one of the priest's ears off. <clears throat> and if anybody gets between Peter and his Savior, he's liable to take action. He's liable to do something that he wasn't fervent in prayer. He wasn't seeking him and did something that the Lord had to rebuke and heal the man that was coming to take him away. You know, a lot of things, times in my life, too, I want to choose my own path. I want to decide my own way before I want to seek God's counsel. Times I want to walk into places and just this isn't right. I want to do it this way. Or instead of seeking the kindness and love of God that Peter would come to know eventually, not at that time. But turn with me as in, in a little further in the story into 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, a little backstory: Peter has been given the commission to go out and preach the gospel to all the world, nations around him, and that's what he has been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. And now he is in what he calls Babylon, but it was in Rome, and he's sending these letters to comfort the people in Asia Minor, the churches. This is circulating uh, letters that's going to go around to the churches to comfort them because of what's taking place to them. They are oppressed. By Roman rule still. They are having to follow this government system that's uh, trying to control them, trying to make them do things that they don't want to do. And um, it's just amazing how Peter has a change of heart against authority now. Jesus has come in, or Peter has come in contact with who Jesus really is and getting to understand what kind of love that we or I should reflect on others. So chapter 2 Verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners or soldiers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So by our good works, by our good deeds... When evil comes against us or something comes against us, they're going to be like, wow, these people are, are being good and nice and everything's still, and you may glorify God in that. So chapter thir or verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
as free, not yet using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You know, so many times I, I just thinking about this message and how much I need to hear this. Because through all these things that was going on in the world and are around this change that has been taking place, I've been stubborn to adhere to what they're asking me to do. And sometimes I'll, I know a lot of the stores around here, they're pretty lax and I don't really have to wear masks wherever I go, but a lot of stores, they aren't. And I know it. And I'm walking into Harbor Freight and I get my cart and, and I, oh, the door's open and I bolt straight to the back where I need to go. And the cashier sees me and, and she finishes up with her and there's a lady in the back and, and they both meet me in the aisle and I know why they're there. They're both in the back of the aisle. I'm like, I'm like I surrender. Okay, okay. I'll put my mask on. I'm sorry. I don't want to make anybody angry. But it's silly. I know this is a tough thing, and I know maybe this is a little bit of a control coming in slowly, and it may get worse in the future, but how are we supposed to act? Who are we supposed to uh, emulate through these things? And, um, you know, I, I, I have a tough time with this. Um, I'm, I, I struggle with um, a lot of different things. The mask is just... The, not even that big of a deal. There's a lot of other things that me and my wife have been dealing with because of the way we feel about, dare I say, vaccinations. This has been on our minds for a long time. When we started having children, we looked at the amount of vaccines they wanted to give our kids, and we're like, I don't know. We're not doctors, but this is a lot. Can we slow down on how much we use? And how much we put into their bodies and let them develop with, you know, we grow produce, we try to eat healthy, and can we just grow them up like children used to be? But now, you can't take your kids to any school without having that piece of paper. And is that, you know, I don't know what kind of oppression that is, I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but we've been dealing and grappling with this for the longest time, and I used to go to people and just shout all these things that this is wrong and that's wrong and this is unhealthy and this is, this is bad in there and because of this reason, but it always brought in conflict and strife and it never got what I wanted to accomplish through this is do people have a choice to make choices on their own and live the lives they want to live. But I wanted to turn more to God and who... God's character is and how we're supposed to act. So if we want to skip down to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you, being of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. Be tenderhearted, be courageous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So as we go to try to bless others and be nice to others, we too will receive a blessing. But there will be, sacri- there will be suffering that will take place. There will be challenges in our lives that how are we supposed to love one another and be nice to each other when they're wrong? <clears throat> 
But he keeps going on in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That no longer we should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For I have spent enough of my past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When I walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revileries, drinking parties, and abominable idols. I've walked a path as a young man that was full of sin. That was nothing that I see in myself that God can use, but he sees something in me. And he sees something in all of us. We continue to focus on either who we used to be or who we are. We're not going to get anywhere. But choosing our own path and having our own outcomes. But let's focus on God so we can um, be rid of all these things and be more closer to who kind of love he shares. So skip down a couple verses for, for me in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. Because love will cover a multitude of sins. But be hospita- hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's amazing what love can do in a life. When you go to love somebody, um, it, it just makes everything go smoother and better. I can remember a time, and this is before Baron was born, and I, I mentioned before that we were in a fifth, we had to move into a fifth wheel travel trailer, and before we get into that f- travel trailer, my landlord who... We lived on 40 acres, and he had all these grapes, and I had a big garden and chickens, and we worked together to work on his property, and we became really good friends, and I was friends with his kids, and he came to, him and his wife came to our door one night and knocked on the door, and, and I couldn't reflect this love without the relationship I started having with God at that moment. So God came in in an amazing way, but they knocked on our door, and he's like, I'm sorry to say, I know you just planted all these spring crops, but... My son is having a baby, and he needs this house. Here's your 60-day notice. And a couple weeks after that, we found out we're having barren. But God, I don't think I had the power to do this, but God came in right there, and he, I gave him a big old hug. And I said, I love you, Ed. You're doing what's right for your son. God will figure this out. And it was just an amazing moment to see what love can do when you show that kind of love. I think, I hope and pray that Ed still thinks about that. I've seen him a couple times here and there, and he's like, I'm so sorry. That was the hardest decision I ever had to make in my life. You guys are so great. And I'm like, Ed, it's, God is good. He showed up then and reflected a love that I can't comprehend or could have been capable of doing there at that moment. 
But same in 1 Peter chapter 4, we go down to verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though something strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I got to say, though, when... You are two days away from the car and your shoulder's dislocated and your brother, I'm trying to get my brother to like help me pop it back in, but he's so squirmish. He's like, oh, I don't want to touch that. And I'm like, I'm in so much pain. And so we slung that up after we had a night of rolling around and hard sleeping. We, we put a sling on. I'm like, all right, it's time to make it back. And I'm like, we could do it. You know, we could do it in one day. And my brother's like, no, no, we can't do it in one day. But he took on all my gear onto his back. I took a bag of water with me, and we headed across the boulder field in two 12,000-foot passes. And I got to tell you, it's, it's interesting, like, what gravity will do when your bones aren't together. You're sitting there walking, and you can feel it just pulling and pulling and pulling, and it's just, each step was just agony. And... You know, yeah, my brother, like he says, I'm a tough guy, but that was by far the most painful experience I had in my life. And I'm jumping onto another rock, and I'm like, pulls on it harder, and pulls on it harder, and I'm having this conversation with God that's, I wasn't being thankful, that's for sure. And my intention of going on this trip is had been rebaptized and found a new relationship with God, and I wanted to talk to my brother about it. And here I am going, why, God? What has happened? I've done, I've done all these things for you. I stopped working on Saturday. I started following you. I started opening your words and going through and trying to find truth. And I found it. And I accepted it. Where, why am I here at this point? And I'm, it's not like I'm saying this to myself. I'm, every, I'm kneeling down every 10 to 20 minutes and yelling it. And my brother's sitting there listening to it. How horrible I felt, feel now thinking about that. And I hope it doesn't change his thinking about who God is. But of course, we didn't make it in one day. We made it to the spot we went to the first night. And I'm like, well, I guess we've got to stay another night in agony and pain, trying to fall asleep with a dislocated shoulder was impossible. So we got up the next morning, and we're sitting there, and my brother's making breakfast and, and, and coffee, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we got to go, <laughs> okay? I'm sick of being on this shoulder. Let's go. We got this big argument, and so I head out. I'm like, see ya. I'm going to the car. So we take off and we lose each other for about five or six hours. We're off trail and we're going to find the trail again where we came down. And there's a couple different ways to go down. And I'm scrabbling down all this stuff and trying to get down there and trying as hard as I can. And I came up this, I don't know if you've ever been in the woods and had this feeling that something's wrong. So I sat down and, and I'm sitting over this valley of blueberry bushes. I'm like, there is totally a bear in here. I could just feel it. I could feel it. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, Lord, like, 
please, I need you. Like, I've been crying out to you. I'm, I'm scared, and there, I think there's something here. And immediately, the biggest buck jumps out right in front of me. This huge deer, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> it's terrifying. And then I was just like, thank you, Lord, that wasn't a bear. <laughs> but because it's the last thing I need right now. <laughs> but as I get down and get down to the trail, I'm, I could hear my brother yelling out to me. So I'm like, okay, good. I'm, I found him. I'm like, all right, come on, hurry up. Get down the trail. I'm trying to push him along. I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. And, and as we're getting closer and closer, I'm just continuing to do that same thing. I'm so in desperate need of help, feeling all the anguish that I felt by leaving my wife with three kids by herself. I felt so ashamed. I'm like, Lord, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I should have listened. But I was following my self-interests, what I wanted to do, what made me happy. And I'm going through this with the Lord, and I'm so upset. But something came over me as I'm going faster and faster. I'm picking up pace, and I'm picking up pace, and I'm like, I'm just getting closer and closer to the car. I'm just like, oh, man, I can't wait to get to the car. I'm just a two-hour drive to the hospital so we can fix this. And I'm continuing. That. So by this point, I'm kneeling on the ground crying. My brother, he could just tell. I mean, he told me after the fact. He's like, this is the hardest thing he ever went through because to listen to his little brother crying out to God and just all upset. And by the time we get... We're getting closer and closer, and we're getting faster and faster, and less and less I have to kneel, and I'm getting strength, and we're coming to the car. And as we're coming to the car, I'm like tearing my stuff off and throwing it on the ground. I'm like, get in the car. We're going now. And my brother stops for a second. These two guys just came up. They're done fishing. They came up right next to us. They're parked right next to our car. You can see them coming down the trail as we're coming, too. It was just like we met at the same time, and I'm not thinking about it. I'm just like, get your stuff off, get in the car, we're going. I'm, I'm, I'm done. But my brother turns to these guys and he's like, hey guys, do you happen to know how to relocate a shoulder? And they both look at each other. They look at us. And they're like, we're two ER docs from Fresno, the closest hospital. Closest hospital to us. And they... I think reluctantly, they get these napkins out. I probably smell awful. <laughs> I probably have all this sweat. and It was just, but they, they get me against the car and just as easy as that, they both pop it back in. And I was like, I, you expect it to be painful, but man, it was the most relieving feeling of my life. I was like, oh, wow, that was so good. Thank you guys. And they're like, please don't mention it. And they jump in the car and take off. Because I think there was liability issues, or I don't know what was going on, but I, I would love to meet those guys one day if I could ever know who they are or where they at. But just to say that the Lord sent you there at that time, it was amazing and perfect. But the problem with this story, though, is where my heart was at. I was sitting in the car still grumbling to myself about why, God, I've, I've came all this way. I've, I've learned all these things. I'm... I'm Falling in love with you all over again, and this is what I get repaid with? As we get into cell service, my brother gets on the phone, 
He's calling on his buddies. And he's yelling at them on the phone. He's like, dude, you wouldn't hear it. Believe what happened, man. Jesus healed my brother's arm. And I'm looking at him like, he's, he's crazy. He's telling the whole story. Yeah, these guys rolled the same time. And yeah, Jesus healed my brother's arm. And I'm looking at him like, dude, what? And, and he hangs up the phone. He calls another one of his buddies. And he says the same thing. He's, tell, he's calling his friends, telling them what Jesus has done. And I'm sitting there grumbling. The Lord has something to teach me there from even my brother, that Jesus is amazing. He, he comes to us in an amazing way. I don't know what you guys are going through, what suffering, little suffering we could have in our country, but in, even in our personal lives. It's hard to see ourselves to give thanks to God for these things, but it makes it work out in due time. When I look back to that story, I, 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 when I get into a deep prayer with God, I now I ask God to put me into that place again. I want to be there again. I want to be relying on you and only you to provide for my healing, to get me to the next spot. Oh, God, how I need you so bad, even to this day. <clears throat> and... <clears throat> Turn with me to First uh, Peter. We'll go back a little bit. Chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for, sin, for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you guys are in a position or if you're thinking about baptism. We have an appeal that came down from the conference to fill our baptistry up December 11th. That's a that's a. Pretty lofty appeal to just feel it up and trust that God's going to bring the people to come. But if you're, if you're feeling that you're not worthy or not capable, good. I'm glad you are because that's how I felt. And that's how I felt through that whole experience is I'm not worthy of this, this kind of healing or or. Or all this stuff, and, and, and we need to come to God as who we are, and, and it's, you know, God is going to cleanse our flesh and take the, <clears throat> remove the filth of the flesh from us, but we should come to God with a good conscience. Come and be like, I want to give my life to you, Lord. 
so I may continue to get to know you better. I may not be the perfect person. I have so much to work on as I'm growing closer and closer to Jesus. I see more and more of my faults and where I fall short. But I still want to have that good conscience towards God so he may continue to remove the filth of my flesh. God comes to us in, in our time of need and sometimes, um, sometimes bad things happen because an adversary is trying to knock us off the track. But sometimes God's trying to point out something in our lives that needs to change. There was something in my life that needed to change. I, when I came to know God again and came to this church and I had some problems, I had some issues with addiction. And I gave up all these addictions and uh, drinking and smoking for a whole year. And I went on this trip and I picked up something that I shouldn't have. And that's what was a hard lesson to learn for me. <clears throat> but God still wants to heal me through all this. He's still, he's a father that wants to heal all of us. He wants to expose our weaknesses so we may continue to look towards him as our only guidance. <clears throat> and now in, uh, we go back to the story where <clears throat> Peter was denied Christ. He went out wailing and crying and begging for forgiveness. He was told what would happen that he would deny Christ. And he did. He was ashamed. But in John chapter 21, when Jesus is resurrected, he, he sees the fishermen out on the shore again and calls them in for breakfast, to have a meal with them, to talk with them before he goes back to the Father in heaven. In verse 15 so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? See, Jesus is pointing to the fish. Peter ran back to his old ways, ran back to his old way of getting income and dealing with things, and, and he went back to, out to what he knows what's best. And Jesus, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said to him. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he continued to say this. And Jesus said to him, or and he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Mostly assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, 
you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Jesus made another prediction about Peter's future. That Peter will be crucified on a cross. And, and later on, in historical perspective, uh, the Nero, um, one of the emperors of Rome, crucified Peter upside down on the cross. But reading through the first and second letters of Peter, I don't think he was looking towards that. He wasn't looking towards what punishment he was going to have. But he was looking towards Jesus and the hope that he has in all of us. So I ask you today as we close that if you're thinking about baptism, just come to God with a good conscience. But if you already are, let's pour through First and Second Peter and find how we can love others that might not love us. Zach, a couple weeks ago, he asked, he gave us this list to write down different people you want to see, baptize, and pray for them. And I started thinking about, man, I need to put a bunch of people on that list that I don't like. <laughs> because that's how God wants us to be. I want to put the people that annoy me the most on that list. I don't know if it's, it's personal or political, but that's the kind of love that God wants us to show. He wants us to love people like Steve does, and just making tons of burritos yesterday and helping people out, or like George does, showing up and spending hours pouring over my transmission to fix it so my car can get back on the road. Not to just, I mean, I, I assume that George is doing that because he likes me, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm not sure. I mean, we could ask him later about that. But how much more of a testimony would it be if you did that to somebody that either despises you or you despise them or their ways or their thinking? Bring them around. Help them out. Not to change what they think or their pol politics or whatever they, they're disagreeing with, but to just love them. So as you go out this week, find a couple people to love. And trust me, you're not going to want to do it. <laughs> it's going to be hard and you're going to need the Lord as you're there loving them. I'm going to need the Lord. So let's continue steadfast in prayer and asking God to do these things for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm not worthy. We're not worthy. But Lord, you are worthy in us. We want to ask that you would come into our hearts and our minds and help us to reflect a love that we cannot even comprehend or are capable of even doing. But Lord, you've loved us that same way. You've shown mercy and forgiven us time and time again. Help us to forgive and love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.